It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. We're having fun this week on Rule Breaker Investing. This is an extra. Yep, this is an extended interview with Rob Davio, the designer of Pandemic Legacy Season 1, which I mentioned is one of my five favorite board games that make you a better investor. This week, Rob has graciously consented to talk a little bit more about, well, why not, himself, right? Hi, Rob. Hello. <laughs> so, I'm going to try not to be redundant with what we talked about on the podcast earlier this week, but let's feel free to go back over any um, familiar territory as is necessary. But, Rob, I think since we're all superheroes at heart and we all have origin stories, Rob, I want to kind of start there. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in a Waterville, Maine in the 70s and 80s, so like Stephen King country. Wow. So, really cool. Which actually. It did influence me a lot. I read a lot of Stephen King as a uh, as a kid, and it gave me the idea of like just sort of amazing ideas and stories, like a lot of his short story stuff. At what point did games enter your life? Played a lot of board games as a kid, but it was the very traditional Parker Brother Milton Bradley games, which are not bad. Gave me a good uh, grounding. But 1981, I went off to summer camp and was allowed to bring five comic books because it was overnight camp and it was my first time away from home. And then when I got there, some people were playing D and D. So in sort of this two-week period, I was introduced to Dungeons and Dragons and like comic books. Pretty much my life changed from those two weeks to where I am now. This is a little bit weird because it's very, very similar. But at summer camp in the 1980s, mine was in New Hampshire. We brought Dungeons and Dragons to camp. Other kids didn't really know it. We weren't allowed to play it. It was, you know, it's kind of one of those outdoor camps. I'm sure yours was too. You had to be active. But when it rained. And the counselors didn't necessarily have as many plans. Out came Dungeons and Dragons, and we were trying to teach some of the other kids who'd never seen a game like that before. So I, I can really relate to what you're saying, Rob. Yeah, the pine trees and everything like that. Like, yeah, it was like you're praying for rain. I mean, I found it, and people were talking, <laughs> and they were just telling a story. I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like playing a game, and they're just kind of like standing there, like at a table. I'm like, well, no, you're not. And then they're like, yeah, you can join us. And the, I don't remember who it was, but he just kind of wrote me in. Who do you want to be? like Lord of the Rings. I'm like, I don't know, guy with a sword. Great. <laughs> and I, my mind was blown. I'm like, you can just do that? Like, how does this work? <laughs> so, um, now getting to the superhero origin moment, um, what mutation or a surprising incident or injury did you suffer where you discovered your superhero ability? And by the way, what is your superhero ability? Um, oh, that's, you know, you, I didn't know this question was coming. It's completely unfair. Yeah, no, it's fine. I look a few years younger than I am. Mm. How old are you, one? Rob? How old are you? I'm I'm 46. Awesome. I have seen a picture of you on the internet, handsome lad. I would have said you were younger than 46. See, there we go. That's my ability. <laughs> well, I think of you as a superhero game designer, so that's where I'm going to head next. But before I get there, and we did talk about games a little bit on the podcast earlier this week. Um, I also know you as a business person. I think you have your own company today. I do. I have a whole grown-up C corp. There we go. Before that, you um, you mentioned you'd worked at Hasbro for fourteen years. Yep. Where else have you worked? What was your first job? Uh, let's see. Going back was before Hasbro. I was an advertising copywriter for about five years, and then before that, right at the into at the end of college, um, I wanted to be a television sketch comedy writer. So my very last. Uh, like internship first job. I was an intern with David Letterman show, the old one back at NBC. I remember it. 
uh, before he moved over to CBS. So I was there and I hung out at Saturday Night Live and then I like hung out with the kids in the hall up in Toronto and I was like, I was an ambitious entrepreneur at 19 talking my way onto television sets. And I had it all, all lined up and ready to go until I realized television is kind of a miserable business. Mm. Why? And, uh, Why? What was miserable about it at the time? Um, there's a lot of downtime. Success is doing a pilot here or punching something up there or working on a show that lasts six episodes and then moving to New York to try something else and then back to L.A. to pitch a few more things. And, like, success was doing that, like, never quite having stability and jumping around. And at 22, I, you know, I... I you know, it doesn't sound so bad now at 46, but at that age, it felt like that doesn't feel good. It feels like you're always out of work and always hustling and always looking for a job. Didn't care much for L.A., wasn't sure I wanted to live in New York, and these all sort of, like, came together, and I thought, I'm not sure. That I like comedy, and I like being funny. I'm not sure I, that this is the career for me, which was a tough place because I had spent, like, years in college sort of, like, gearing up for it, and then I just walked away. Mm. And then fast-forwarding a little bit, I have to ask you a little bit about Hasbro. Uh, Hasbro, a company you spent 14 years at. Ironically, perhaps, yes, this is somewhat ironic, 13 years ago, it was April 11, 2003, I picked Hasbro stock for Motley Fool Stock Advisor, and as is my want, with an O, uh, I've never sold it. I've continued to hold the shares, and we, we I re-recommended it once in Stock Advisor. So, here I am looking, as, as we tape, Hasbro is up 709% since April 11, 2003, the stock market over the same course of time is up a couple hundred percent. So Hasbro is basically up about 500 percentage points in pure alpha for investors. They you know, bought Milton Bradley, they bought Parker Brothers, they bought Tonka and Kenner and a lot of other places, and they put together kind of this really good portfolio of key American toy and game brands. Right? So you got Monopoly, and you got G.I. Joe, and you got Transformers, and they have the Star Wars license, and they have the Marvel license. So in terms of, they're not having to do anything radical to have sort of year-after-year year success. So, when you presented the idea of a legacy format game, and specifically Risk Legacy, and I know you described earlier this week on our podcast, it was kind of you, was it your boss at the time, kind of sitting there going, hey, what about that? Uh, yeah, I'd done it for, I thought of the idea for Clue, like, what if you played a Clue game, which well, I almost, I was calling Clue the usual suspects, right? Like, so, in your game, Colonel Mustard became the, the you know one with the longest rap sheet, and in mine, it was uh, Miss Scarlet. And I pitched that, and everyone thought I was a little crazy. But it was a lot of amongst a lot of other games. So I went back and I retooled it. And I did it for Risk in a better environment with a better pitch, and people could see what I was going for. And the then president of Hasbro Games did this wonderful thing where he's like he basically gave me the sort of executive shield. He said, "This sounds really different. Go do it." Don't anyone get in his way? Wow. And he basically just gave me this this badge to go do something crazy. Now, even then, it almost died a few times. People were like, "What's going on? What is this? And why are we putting stickers on stuff? And you can't do this." And I was just pig-headed about the whole thing, and used every trick I could about like how a you know like how a corporation works. I'd been there twelve years or thirteen years at the time, so I knew all the insider politics of how to get stuff done to just muscle that thing out to market. And I'm glad I did. You know, I I really do think it is to that um, division president's credit that you were given that shield. I, you know, at its best, Hasbro is kind of how I painted it earlier. It's been a long-term market beater. You mentioned it's a company that has brands that kind of bought them up. Um, but you know, maybe at its worst, it's the company that comes out with Monopoly for Star Wars, Pokemon Monopoly. Uh, we'll just yep. go with, uh, Donald Trumpopoly, maybe. You know, it's it's so 
it feels often like one of those bigger, safer. This happens for larger companies. Um, you know, got to keep the profit steady. Not that imaginative sometimes. So I can only imagine what it would be like to be kind of a disruptor in there and say, "Hey, what about this totally new idea?" And then have the support of a president. It was it was fantastic, and like I said, I had sort of honed my pitch and really worked it, and they could see the passion written all over me. And I said, we're going to do for the game board what Wizards of the Coast did for playing cards, which is it looks the same, but it acts in a completely different way. And a lot of hype and, and you know a lot of promises. And I think they just basically understood that I had something in my head that was ready to come out. And yeah, I, every time I see him, I will thank him for basically making my, you know, the second half of my career mm. in that meeting. Because if he had said no, like I would have been like, okay. And you know, that might have been that. Mm. So, Rob, let's stick on business for a little bit more. We do have a lot. Um, uh, our Motley Fool membership, our worldwide membership, over-indexes toward small business and entrepreneurs, people who have their own businesses. You are now one such. I have no idea how big your business is. You could tell me you're your only employee. You could tell me you, that you have 35 people in Western Massachusetts, and you're just launching your first game. At what state are you with your own business? Um, it is just me, although my wife is going to be joining part time. Uh, dangerous. I met her at Hasbro. Dangerous. No, I know. Oh, trust me. I, I, like, <laughs> this has been a long discussion. This wasn't a whim one night over dinner. I actually worked with her at Hasbro. She was an art director, a graphic designer, and does all the things that I can't do and no longer have the resources to do. So I said, as soon as I start turning a profit, this is the next thing I need to hire. But I married to the person who I actually worked the best at at Hasbro. So we are very aware that, you know, all the issues of mixing, you know, business and personal relationships, which is why it's going to be one day a week for her. So we're not running the business together. And I, I'm only partly being facetious, of course, because I started a business with my brother. I think family business is a great thing, and I congratulate you. Sounds like you both married very well. So it sounds great. Let me ask, I know about, we talked a little bit about this earlier this week, Seafall, which is coming out from Plaid Hat Games, a game that I personally have pre-ordered more than one copy of. No pressure. Not that you feel any, Rob, no pressure to make a great game out of the... <laughs> I feel so much pressure on this game. There has been a lot of people waiting a long time about it. Uh, just like hear, hearing you say multiple copies, I'm like, oh, please, I hope you like it. <laughs> I know that I will. Um, but let me ask, um, uh, so when I think about businesses, I think about you know having a portfolio of properties or investing, I think about having you know not just one stock. Um, what else are you working on? Are you going to become the legacy game company? or how are you thinking about the future? And by the way, what is the name of your company, Rob? The name of my company is Ironwall Games. Um, but Increasingly, this is interesting, talking about small business. When I first started out, I didn't know if I was going to be publishing my own games or designing or consulting, and kind of the whole world was open to me. So I spent a, a couple years trying different avenues until I focused down on what I'm really good at and enjoy the most, which is designing games and then letting other people publish them. So mostly my company is becoming just some place that I run the money through for business purposes. And it, oddly enough, my name is becoming the brand rather than the company, mm. um, which I didn't expect. But that's where it's ended up, and it seems to be working. Rob, let um, me let me ask you to do something that's probably unsafe. Um, yeah. Project forward how influential, how potentially ubiquitous you think the legacy format, that innovation, can be. Obviously, not just in your own work, 
but um, through the industry. Do you see this being... I mean, I think it is a next big thing, potential thing, and it's not even just next because it's already worked a few times. You have the number one rated game of all time on Board Game Geek, but is this something like Magic the Gathering where we're going to have like any number of copycats and imitators that even add value to you through um, a ubiquitous new in- innovation, or is this more just like the Davio thing? Uh, I thought it was going to be that other people were doing it. Right now, it's just the Davio thing. I, you know, because Risk was 2012, so it's been almost four years, and no one did it. And then I put out Pandemic Legacy with Matt, and then that shot up, and that's almost been a year since it came out, and a year and a half since been, it's been announced, and um, no one's done it. Now I'm working on two or three things that, in various forms, could be called a legacy game. Mm-hmm. Um, part of me is thinking, do I put all my eggs in that basket? Am I only known for one trick? Or do I diversify? And I do talk this way and do like some small games and some card games and some language independent, some shorter games. And basically, I'm looking for a whole portfolio of games giving me royalty income. And then if some go out of print, I've designed other ones to replace it. And some will fail and some will succeed more than I wanted. But I'm usually trying to project how much income I can get from each game I make. You bet. But right now, uh, I'm the only one doing it. But I I mean, I got to think with Pandemic Legacy reaching number one on Board Game Geek and having a lot of sales that we'll be seeing other ones coming out next year, which would be fun to play one as opposed to just make them. But mm. right now it's, it's just what I'm doing. And my brother was the one who told me to keep doing it. I said, oh, I don't want to be known for one thing. And um, we're New Englanders. And he said, look, David Ortiz doesn't bunt. He's like, if you're known for one thing, just keep doing it until it doesn't work anymore. I'm like, all right, good point. That's great. Who, who are a few game designers that you admire? Um, I admire... It's this interesting thing. I admire a lot of old Dungeons and Dragons authors because I feel like they were kind of doing this pioneering Wild West sort of thing. Like, well, did, would this work? Would this work? Like, I love people who do that, like Richard Garfield with Magic the Gathering. Mm-hmm. I've always said I like people who find a new corner of design space to play around in, um, which is probably how I ended up doing a similar thing myself. Um, I admire a lot of European designers who do these traditional Euro games, mostly because I can't. Right. If I try to design a European style game and then I get in the middle and it's not working, I'm like, I don't know how to do this. So I, <laughs> I admire them because they can design in a whole way that my brain's not capable of. Well, a longtime friend of the fool is Reiner Knizia, and one of my five favorite board games that teach people uh, to become better investors is his modern art game, which is just a really fun um, auction-oriented bidding game. Um, is is Reiner somebody you've ever met? I have, I think so, at a convention. Um, I don't know him well. Like, I'm not sure if we're in the same room, we would, I would recognize him. I don't know if you would recognize me, but um, we are in sort of the same circles. Yeah, he's exactly the type of person. He's so mathematical and so analytical, and I'm very, he's very German, it feels like, and I'm very American. I'm all like a lot of words and loud noises. He's very precise. (laughs) Well, I do see one potential similarity between you and Reiner. Reiner um, at least came on my radar 10 or 20 years ago, kind of one of the first game designers who really could do that full time. He, he's made it a business, his Kinesia games. You know, he has a bunch of designs, as I'm sure you're aware of out there, that are published in multiple countries. He's really as much an entrepreneur and a business person today as he is a game designer. And I could see that happening for you if you wanted it to, or maybe you hope about, it, about that. I, I Yeah, that's the plan. I mean, my goal is to, you know, get up to the point where I have five to ten designs in the market at all time, and then hopefully some of them become these evergreens like he has, where they're just always in print. Um, he is fast. He is good. He can produce a lot of things. But yeah, he's very much a model of how I'd like to 
run my business. Matt Leacock as well, my co-designer on Pandemic Legacy. He's got all the Pandemic games. He also has uh, Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert. He has Roll Through the Ages. And sort of by having these these brands and then doing extensions from them, he's able to do it full-time as well. And Reiner, Matt, a couple other people, I've modeled my my sort of entrepreneurial plan around to see if I can follow the same path they're following. Because for the past couple of years in startup mode, it's been crazy. And it's nice that it's finally sort of stabilizing. Wonderful. Rob, what are your favorite non-Davio games? A few games that you love that you didn't design. Um, that's a question that I spent many years not knowing the answer to, and then I figured it out, which is it's always going to be first edition Dungeons & Dragons, even though it's a really clunky game because it hits me emotionally. Uh, other than that, I just tend to play everything. But I like games that tell a story. What are a few crossover games that every family should have, even if they're not really gamers and don't know it yet? Uh, I think Pandemic or for one of the Forbidden Islands is good for a co-op game. I really like Splendor, which came out last year, uh, and Love Letter. And I own them all, and all are purchasable over Amazon. Let's go to Rob Davio, the investor. Rob, do you own any stocks? I own no stock individually. And why is that? Uh, that is just, I'm a little bit risk-averse. It's also because of life circumstances. I ended up getting divorced at 35. Finances were tough, and I'm only now getting to the point where I would consider it. Awesome. Um, more broadly, then, what's been, and, and we really use this term loosely on this podcast, what has been your best investment? Uh, my best investment has been, quite honestly, just believing that if I want to do something interesting, it will actually turn out well. Like, I just do things now. I'm like, that sounds like a fun idea, and I just do it. And whenever I've done that in my life, it has worked out. What is a site that we, we should all visit somewhere within 100 miles of you? Uh, just the city of Boston. Fenway Park. I'm a big baseball guy. Wonderful. Red Sox fan all the way through, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, I grew up in New England. What an incredible transformation you've seen in that franchise over the course of your 46 years. It has been amazing, and I very much recognize that New England sports have had a hell of a run in the past 15 years. I still think of us as the lovable losers that can't win anything, and the rest of the country really detests like, you know, <laughs> all the success we've had. I might have not caught up to that. Outside of sports and games, I know a diverse thinker like you, a brilliant, intellectually curious guy, has other interests. What's a hobby we haven't talked about? Cooking. That is my number one hobby. What? I cook everything and anything. I usually don't cook the same thing twice. Uh, I love learning about cooking. I mean, I my friend and I built our own homemade water circulator so I could do sous vide cooking. I've taken cooking classes in Italy. I've taken cooking classes in France. Um I just, that is the thing I do at the end of the day to relax. And I find a lot of inspiration. There's actually a lot of parallel between legacy games and cooking in the sense that it's more about an experience than a repeatable thing. Even if you come back the next day and try to make the same dish, it comes out differently. Mm. Um, but I'm a big fan of cooking. Awesome. Rob, sounds like you're a father. Yes, I am. Uh, father of teenagers? I have, uh, yeah, I have a 17 year old daughter, 13 year old son. Awesome. Um, What's what's a, a talk that you might have given, or I, as, as a parent of teenagers, would benefit from knowing something wise that I can say to my kids? Um, usually I just ask them what they think the outcome is going to be of something, rather than tell them what I think the outcome is going to be. That's tended to be my, I've had a very open parenting style over this. You know, it's like, okay, well, you're going to do this. What do you think is going to happen? Wow. It's and kind of like they're building a legacy. There we go. That's a word I can't use anymore, unfortunately. Um, is that true? 
Well, I mean, sorry, just in the sense of when I say, well, my legacy in this game, and people are like, aha, I see what you did. Like, it's a word. Everyone goes, aha, like, points it out. So it's a word I've had to ban from my vocabulary other than when I'm talking about the games I make. I understand. Okay, we got to cut it right there. Rob Davio, a true pleasure connecting with you. Congratulations on all your success, and thank you for all the fun that you've added to my family's life, both with Pandemic Legacy Season 1 and with Seafall coming out and many others continued foolish best wishes to you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.